Hello, I'm Fiona McArdle, and I'd like to welcome you to Shaakle. Banachtin, she Fiona McArdle mish, aspavari am golta chashu gasachler show, Shaakle. Shaakle is a programme in which we look at the island's rich culture and heritage. Quil vor laxe, the great laxe wheel. The historic building's architect, John Paul Walker, explained the workings of the wheel and restarting of it. Taitashti keep bladen, 100 years since the opening of the Manx Museum in Douglas. Katie King, curator of art and social history, tells us more. On Friday the 21st and Saturday the 22nd of October, it's another opportunity to see the musical presentation by Clyderen, the Ramsey-based theatre group, about the Star of India. The iron-hulled vessel launched from Ramsey shipyard in 1863 as the Euterpe. Euterpe is a Greek muse of music and lyric poetry. After writing a dramatisation of the launch ceremony of the Euterpe for an anniversary a few years ago, which included a song as a finale, writer, producer and director of Clyderen, Heather Rufino, saw an opportunity to celebrate the Euterpe, stroke the star of India, in a musical presentation. I always thought there was a seed in my head, there's potential for a, a musical. So um, I thought maybe down the line. And then um, I approached Marilyn Cannell, who uh, is a whiz. And um, we teamed up and Marilyn's great with writing music and lyrics and I like writing lyrics. And now it's come to fruition. So here we are with a, a musical version of the story of that wonderful ship. It's just been something of a pleasure to do because it just spoke a proper story for Ramsey because it's it's Ramsey history it's Manx history as you know it's it's and it's such a famous ship and yet it's it's something that Ramsey is very very you know it's her Ramsey's history mm. and um, she's she's just a wonderful ship. Heather Rufino writer producer and director of Clyderen the Star of India is the oldest iron-hulled vessel in the world which is still sea-going and that iron hull was launched from Ramsey Shipyard in 1863. Clyderen first presented the Star of India last weekend and will be performing it again in St Paul's Hall in Ramsey at 7.30 on Friday evening, the 21st of October. There will be a matinee at 2 o'clock on the afternoon of Saturday the 22nd and the final performance will be at 7.30 on Saturday evening. Tickets are available from the Bridge Bookshop in Ramsey at £8.50. £4.50 concessions, but any remaining will be available at the door. Manx National Heritage have also loaned a scale model of the Star of India, which will be on display in St Paul's Hall. And if anyone has any information about who might have built that model, MNH would be delighted to hear from you. On Shachlai and Hirtsjeri, Bashan Klaschen Makion Jeshachteris Victorianach, Erefe de Gilshin, Hamas Makion and Long Uterpe, Star of India, Lunich and Hockey Jeg Trees Tree Feed, as Nisht and Long Shinna, as Corp Yarn Ek, Tafos Gol Erechin. Makion, Quil for Laxe, Quil, Ustja Smooth the Tail, Tafos Govrach, Foslit and Hockey Jeg Quag Jegas Died. As ish chandarish erigerid, logan hid fez de ober, de faldo as de ayashinachei. Erefe de rau quil vor laxe, 
Forslet and Hidkiet, Lyorish Ben Woosel, Isabella Hope, Ben Heja, the Regera, Charles Hope, Lias Kianurt, Siljang Shen, Vrai Ayrachta Shunach Vannen, J. Ben Woosel, Philippa Lorimer, Ben Heja, the Regera, John Lorimer, Lias Kianurt, Egatre Ton, Vevehi Araltach Goilarn, Onsucharmen as he call, the A Ojla, and Huilvur and Chachtenshochai. After the speeches for the recent official reopening of the Great Laxey Wheel that we heard in Shachler last time from the chairman of Manx Museum and National Trust, Jonathan Hall, the director of the Manx Museum, Connie Lovell, and Lady Philippa Lorimer, whilst Sir John and Lady Lorimer went to turn on the valves to set the water flowing again and then went to the top platform of the wheel to see the results. The historic building's architect, John Paul Walker, who's directing the project of maintenance on Laxey Wheel, explained the workings of the wheel and gave a running commentary on the restarting of it. And here's a flavour of what he had to say. The Laxey Wheel is actually a machine, it's a pump. It was, it was built to pump out the mines, so as they dug the deeper mines, they had problems with flooding. So in order for them to work those deep mines, they had to pump out the water. The way they did that was by building a water wheel. This very river here that was flooding those mines, it's actually using the force of that to, to pump out the, the water, so kind of cyclical thing going on there. So what we actually have is the wheel itself is here but then the actual mechanism turns the, the circular motion of the wheel into a horizontal force, which then carries on all the way down the rod ducts, that sort of viaduct, the arched structure marching up the valley. That's, that has on top of it a rod duct, which is then going horizontally and attaches, historically attached to a T-rocker at the opposite end, which then transfers that to a vertical action, which then actuated the the pumps deep down in the mines to pump out the water. Now, what is not operating at the moment, which historically was part of the whole mechanism, is the rod duct and the T-rock at the far end. The pump has, has been uh, disconnected many, many years ago, but in order to sort of mimic the force of the pump, counterweights were put on the end of the T-rocker. And what that meant was that this weight basket here and that weight at the opposite end counteracted each other. So they're almost like a sort of like balanced scales in that it didn't take a lot to rock it. So the wheel doesn't actually have to have a huge amount of force to actuate that motion. What we have at the moment with the, the, the rod duct disconnected is that in fact she's, she's having to lift all this weight. And when we had the crane here we actually lifted this and it's just over five tonne of weight on that, that L rocker and the empty basket. We've taken all the weights out of that basket but it's still just over five tonne. I'll just talk you through the operation. Obviously, she's a water wheel, so she needs water to power her. Now that's taken off, the first point that that's taken off is way up, way up the valley here, there's a, a sluice gate that takes the water off of the river. That then goes into a lade and comes down the side of the valley and eventually feeds into a cistern. So there's a, 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 a stone tank, sort of just halfway up the valley. And then that basically creates a reservoir, if you like, of, of, of water, of, of potential energy, of weight, which then, and because that's fractionally higher 
than the top of the viewing platform, which is where, oh, I think we've actually got, looks like to me like the water's turned on, because you can start to see now the water. Here we go, here we go. So, so yeah, sorry, I'll probably distract you from all the exciting stuff. Here we go, the wheel's starting to turn now. So this is the thing where she's having to lift this weight now. So she's working hard to lift that weight. And then you'll see, she, now this is, this is, this is the, the point where, okay, okay, she's, she's, she's just kind of, you know, she's keeping us on our toes here. She's just gonna come back. So this is, this is the counterweight now, pulling it back down. So what's happened there is a few buckets have filled up, but not enough. E each bucket, there we go. What's happened is you can see only a certain amount of buckets. Do you see then when there was a, a few buckets of emptied and now we can just, there was no more water in those buckets. So that's because it just kind of has this initial thing where a few buckets fill up gives it just enough force to, to start her going, but it, there isn't enough weight there. Each bucket is just over, over 60 liters. So not quite enough weight to pull it all the way over. So what's gonna happen now is she'll come to rest again and you'll get this kind of cascading of the buckets. So what she'll do is once she comes to rest is that obviously the top bucket is the one that gets filled, but as that overfills, it then cascades down to the next bucket and cascades and cascades. So if you sat, stand to the side of her, like over the, the um, crane platform over there, you'd be able to see this kind of cascading going down the buckets. So you're filling more and more buckets gradually until we get enough weight to take it all the way over. Looks like she's starting to get up enough weight to have another go now. So again, we're down from that rested position, so we're pulling that counterweight up into the air. Obviously, when that our rocket gets almost kind of you know 90 degrees to the ground, it's just slightly above that. That's its top dead center. I think we've got, I think we've got the momentum this time. Yeah. So here we go. We've gone all the way over. So now, if you look, you'll get quite an acceleration. See the water kind of coming out through the, I don't know if you can hear it. I can see the water suddenly gushing out the bottom here. So she's, she's done her first full rotation. Hopefully now, obviously there's a huge amount of inertia in her. She's a massive flywheel. So now that should keep on taking her over. So usually once, she's got that once over. So there we go, we're getting that acceleration down again. Really accelerating. Down at the bottom, starting to come back up. You'll see a, a slowing. Now she's pulling up five tons. She's pulling up there. I think we've got a good, healthy, healthy start now. So I think we could say that she's officially turning now. <laughs> so, the historic building architect and project leader for the first phase of works, which have been carried out on the Laxey Wheel in the past two years, John Paul Walker. The Taitashti Vanen und Dulish, Naval, Red, Fodi Sly, Chit, the Erenmach, Macaun and Ellen, an Orti Jichen Murti. Nahol, the Dun, Anchasla, Taregeden, und Erd Hobeg.
an acht a slaya vehead ovraka leshatalu rishtausen and of linton. Tajilam taitashtivanen kirked ahire dokmadun shandiach sliolach. As de yichen erudenteve fernet, as takada perche unena serjehen anelian. Tantrogohin tergitve taitashtivanen shandiach nis. Trogich merve, martailius, lesh urged. Curret Jorish Henry Bloom Noble, ons enem even heje Rebecca Noble. Ren i liachte en klach ondernach ons haki jeg she as keer feed. Achuri bes ons jere jori haki jeg hacht as keer feed. Houds van tailius hin forslet ons mayen flower sevlen shen. This Saturday, the twenty second of October, there will be a new exhibition opening at the Manx Museum. And that's entirely appropriate because what the exhibition celebrates is 100 years since the opening of the Manx Museum in Douglas. Here's Katie King, Curator of Art and Social History for Eirat Ashunach Vanen, Manx National Heritage, to tell us more. Museum 100 is our centenary exhibition, so the Manx Museum is 100 years old this year on the 2nd of November, that's our actual anniversary, and to mark this auspicious occasion, um, for the past 18 months we've been working on a major exhibition called Museum 100, celebrating 100 years of the Manx Museum. And it's taking place in the art gallery here at the museum, so it's a really big space. And what we really wanted to do was two things really, celebrate the history of the Manx Museum and how it came to be, how the Manx Museum evolved into the organisation we are now. So that's one aspect of it. But we mostly wanted to celebrate the collections that we hold in trust for the people of the Isle of Man. So it really is a kaleidoscope of objects, mostly from our stored collections, mostly items that have never been on public display before. And then there's some themes going throughout the exhibition as well, explaining what collections we hold, why we hold them, how we care for them, and to really enable visitors to see behind the scenes of some of the work we do um, with the collections that, as I say, we hold in trust for the people of the Isle of Man. The Manx Museum and Ancient Monument Trustees uh, was founded in 1886 and we have been collecting as an organisation since 1886 so we're celebrating the birthday of this building but the organisation was founded to do two things, to protect the cultural heritage of the Isle of Man and to found a national museum. That was their goal, their mission, it was a Timbald appointment appointed a trustee body and that was their goal. And it took almost 30 years to secure or to find a suitable location. During that time, they were gathering collections. So they were beginning to amass this fabulous collection of antiquities in the mains, a lot of archaeological items that were being excavated around about that time. Um, The giant deer that lots of people are familiar with here, um, that was discovered in this time window when they were looking for a building. And what's been really fascinating when you study the history of the Manx Museum and Ancient Monument Trustees, as was is that they were fighting They were fighting against a general consensus that the Isle of Man didn't have anything of cultural significance. They were mocked quite widely in the newspapers and in Timwood itself, saying, oh, surely there is nothing of significance on the Isle of Man that would fill even one small room, let alone a museum. And that was, that's what they were fighting against, this sort of attitude that 
people didn't understand the history of the Isle of Man. They didn't, they didn't recognise that the Isle of Man was unique and distinct from the rest of the British Isles, I suppose. It was the work of men such as PMC Kermode who helped found the Isle of Man Natural History and Antiquarian Society in 1879. It was this band of, there was a lovely description of them in the newspapers, they were called a band of tenacious patriots who were determined to tell the people of the Isle of Man that they should be proud of their history, that they do have a unique heritage, and they set themselves the mission of uncovering this history so that we could be proud. And they found some astounding things. And there was also some shocking things going on. So the Isle of Man today is, of course, very proud of its Celtic heritage and its Viking history. And I'm sure most of us are familiar with the stone crosses, those monuments we have in the landscapes that have gathered in the parish churches. Well, until the 1880s, they weren't considered anything. They were being used by farmers to prop up hedges. They were being used to fill holes in the roads. They weren't respected. A Viking treasure hoard was discovered here in Douglas. And the coins, some of the coins were sent to the tip because nobody understood or cared about the significance of the island's cultural assets. And those items were taken in the end to the British Museum because there was nowhere to store items like that on the island. And it was things like this that started to happen from the 1870s, 1880s, 1890s, the discovery of the deer that really built the momentum that we needed a museum. And eventually um, a temporary museum was set up um, in Castle Russian. A lot of the governors of the Isle of Man were important in in fighting this fight and saying, yeah, we do need our own, we do need our own um, museum. And eventually the groundswell of opinion changed quite dramatically and then everyone was rallying for this National Museum. The war interceded and delayed things a little. And then in 1921, this building that we're in today, that is now the Manx Museum, this was built originally as the first nobles hospital on the island. It had been vacated just prior to the war because it was it was too small really for the purposes and the building was lying vacant and so the Henry Bloom Noble trustees gifted it to to the Manx people and then a year later the museum opened and there's a lovely speech that the governor did when he opened it Governor Fry and he said from small beginnings this museum will grow and grow we have because we were the Manx Museum and Ancient Monument trustees By the 1950s, our role had expanded to include the National Trust. We became the Manx Museum and National Trust, which we still are today. And then in the 80s, we we took on the name Manx National Heritage, but essentially we're all the same entity. And so our branch museums have grown. um, Our first branch museum was at Craigneche in the 1930s, and then the Nautical Museum, and so on and so forth. So that's the story of how we've grown. And then the collections that we've got on display... We've really tried to explode the stores, I say. You can see some of the things we hold. We do hold over a million items, so it's been very difficult to make a selection. And what we really wanted to convey to people is that unlike a lot of other museums in the British Isles, we have only ever collected the history of the Isle of Man. So you're not going to find anything in our collections that don't pertain to the Isle of Man. And that was really revolutionary when we were set up, particularly in 1922, We were doing something that no other museum in Britain was doing. We were collecting our own story and not just the grand and the great and the beautiful. We were collecting the ordinary. So butter bowls and spinning wheels and and folk culture became massively important. And it was inspired by a Scandinavian folk museum culture. And that's how the Manx Folklife Survey was started as well. It was about collecting the voices of the Manx people, collecting the Manx language, making sure that the traditions of our way of life were were kept. And ultimately, that dream of the early curators of the museum, that dream 
turned into Craig Nish, the first folk museum, the first open-air folk museum to open in the British Isles. The museum has expanded in various ways in that it very much took the, the footprint of the, of the original Nobles Hospital originally and then in the 1930s under curator or director as he was then William Cubbon and his assistant Basil McGaw, there was quite a lot of investment from Timwald to reshape the galleries, to enlarge the museum and that involved things like covering over the courtyards that were here when it was the hospital um, to get more floor space and then in the 60s there was big developments with the, the library stack and archive building being constructed which you can you can see from the seawood side it's like a huge grey building and then of course in the 1980s we had the art gallery and teaching spaces added as well so the building has grown and the organisation has grown from one museum to 12 sites that we operate on behalf of the people of the Isle of Man. So it's a year-long run so it's going to run through to October next year and we've got lots of things planned throughout the year to celebrate the collections and the stories they hold. Yes, we hold collections in trust for people of the Isle of Man, but it's not just about old stuff. It's about the stories that go with them. So one of my favourite objects in the exhibition is a very old, battered-looking chair. And if you saw the chair, you'd probably think, oh, that's an old, broken chair. And it's when the story of the chair is revealed. So we don't just collect things that you found in your attic and you don't know what it is, or we don't just collect something that someone might have thrown in the skip. That's not what we do. We collect objects with stories, with meaning. And we're quite selective in what we acquire because obviously we can't just collect everything. So that's our social history collections. But of course, we've also got archaeological collections, natural history specimens, art, um, clothing and textiles as well, and libraries and archives, which make up a huge, they take up a huge amount of our, of our overall holdings. So it's essentially about the stories that we hold and every object fits somewhere in the jigsaw of, of, of the island's story. And that was really revolutionary when what they were doing in the 1920s and the 1930s, this collecting the ordinary. Um, and two of the trailblazers of this were director William Cobbin and his assistant, who then went on to become director, Basil McGaw. And in 1939, um, Basil McGaw reflected in a public lecture about why they were doing it and how... It wasn't seen as very glamorous because, you know, it wasn't a you know, fantastic painting or a piece of piece of wonderful archaeology it was ordinary things and he said Basil McCall said it is strange how seldom the things of daily life attract the attention of scholars and we resolved on a campaign of fieldwork in the country on the principle that we would not obtain what we required unless we went out to look for it so that's the heart of the Manx Folklife Survey which is so important to our, our, our national story today they had a team of volunteers that would go out into the country and they'd sleep in the haylofts of people's homes or in their farms to make sure that they could gather these stories. And when they were gathering the stories, often in, in notebook form, um, they would be gifted a spinning wheel or a, the chair that I referred to earlier. So they were gathering the artefacts of the people and within 20 years, a lot of that would have been lost and gone. So it was very important what they were doing and we've got a fantastic legacy here from, from that period. Katie King, MNH's Curator of Art and Social History, and the exhibition called Taitash Di Kiedbladen, opening this Saturday, the 22nd of October, ready for the anniversary of the opening of that iconic building as the Manx Museum on the 2nd of November 1922. 
The exhibition will be running until early October next year. That's all from Shaklay this time. Shaklay will be back next Thursday evening. But now from me, Ach, Ishbom, Fiona McArdle, and you.